Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Perhaps I could uh, gently ask you a personal question. Don't say anything out loud, that would be embarrassing. How is your passion for mission? The recent Talking Jesus report by the Evangelical Alliance reckons just 6% of the UK population are practicing Christians. Yet, despite being wonderfully surrounded by unbelievers, on average, only half of us have any meaningful friendship with a non-Christian, and only a quarter of us have ever shared the gospel with them. Many of us are tempted to live like chameleons. You know those amazing lizards that change their appearance to match their surroundings to stay camouflaged and hidden from predators? Perhaps like chameleons, we're afraid of being noticed, afraid to live distinctively, afraid to share the gospel, afraid to join a church plant, afraid to volunteer for world mission. How is our passion for mission? I say this because although it may not have been obvious when we just read Psalm 67, that psalm gives us powerful incentive to join God's passion for mission to our local communities in our towns and cities and to all nations before we dive in let's remember we interpret the old testament as jesus and his apostles did remember jesus told the pharisees these are the very scriptures that testify about me john 5 and his apostle paul encouraged timothy these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3. So we're going to read Psalm 67 first as a sung prayer for the people of Israel, second as testimony to Jesus, and thirdly as wisdom for our salvation today. Okay, Psalm 67. The title reads, For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. And it's all about why God blesses his people. This is the third in a series of four psalms from 65 to 68, praising God as our creator and savior. We're not told who the author was, so we don't need to know. We're simply told it's written for the director of music with stringed instruments because praising God well matters. It's not just a break in the, in the service to stretch our legs. According to Ephesians 5, God's word sung is a spiritually vital word ministry for exalting God and for edifying one another. 
which is why healthy churches will invest in quality music directors, songwriters, musicians, bands and choirs as much as we can as David and the psalmist did. After all, our generation is as mad for music as any before it. And so the content and the quality of our music and praise is either a compelling or a repelling aspect of our church outreach. Of course, suppressing appropriate emotions in praising God is frankly sub-biblical, and when you think about it, subhuman. Isn't that what we love about being here? One of the reasons we love coming is to sing our hearts out in praise. Well, in this glorious song, we're given a truly game-changing reason to renew our own passion for mission to the people of all nations. Because that's why God has been blessing us. Do you remember how God promised Abraham, the ancestor of all who believe, his kingdom in Genesis 12, which Galatians 3 later calls the gospel? He said this, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed by you. Genesis 12. God was very clear. Abraham and his descendants would be blessed in order to be a blessing through which all nations will be blessed. Now our theme at Keswick this year is grateful. So let's consider with thanksgiving how we've been blessed in Christ. I guess by degrees, we're all feeling a bit weary and troubled after a global pandemic. And as we enter into a cost of livings crisis. But as Christians, aren't we? We're extravagantly blessed, aren't we? Do you remember how Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians erupting with praise? Do you remember how it starts? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you remember that? And then he he lists his top three. Chosen by God the Father for adoption as his beloved children. That's amazing. Redeemed by God the Son for unity under Christ. And then sealed by God's Holy Spirit for a heavenly inheritance. Brothers and sisters, we we are so blessed in Christ. And compared with most of our brothers and sisters in Africa, Asia, the Middle East and so on, most of us are also richly blessed in material ways, aren't we? Now, Psalm 67 tells us why God has been blessing us then and now. The historical reality is that the, it's very simple, the psalmist recognizes that God has blessed Israel with a great harvest. So now he asks God to do it again, and he says it's so that unbelievers from all nations will want to join God's people. The psalmist shaped in what's called a chiasm, basically like an onion. So there's an opening couplet, verses 1 to 2, which is a prayer for blessing. Then there's a middle section, verses 3 to 5, with a call to praise God. And then the central request. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then there's a repeated call to praise God, followed by the final bookend, closing couplet, verses 6 to 7, which is another prayer for blessing. Do you see how it goes? It's like an onion. Psalm 67 reveals that God hasn't been blessing his people just for our personal enjoyment, and certainly not for our pride, but for the serious purpose of bringing others into the joy of knowing him. I don't know whether you've ever been disappointed 
visiting a friend on their birthday with a, a cake or an expensive bottle of something bubbly, assuming that they're going to share it and they just say, oh, thanks very much, and they pop it into the fridge to keep it for themselves. Do you know any friends like that? If you're sitting next to them, might you just sort of dig them in the elbow just so they know? You kind of want to say to them, um, excuse me, that's for all of us to enjoy? Well, in this psalm, God is saying in Psalm 67, um, excuse me, what I've been blessing you with is for everyone to enjoy? Let's hear how the psalmist puts it in the three sections. Firstly, may God bless us so all nations will know the salvation of God. That's verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. This beautiful phrase, as you may know, is from the priestly prayer of blessing in number 6. And it's a prayer not just for material things, but for relational kindness. Last Monday, I became a grandparent for the first time. I tell you, it's great, it's great. Now, I have to admit, don't tell any mums around here, but most babies look pretty ugly to me, but I have to admit <laughs> that as I held my little grandson in my, eye, my arms, my face was shining on him. That's what number six is talking about. It's not just talking about material things. It's talking about God's kindness. Now, in number six, it was for the high priest to pray. And since our high priest is now Jesus, interceding for us now in the presence of God, we can ask him to pray that blessing for us and for others. But notice what it's for, verse two. So that your ways may be known on the earth. Bless us, Lord, so God's ways, his characteristic kindness towards his people, will be experienced by all nations, where such grace is expected neither from their despotic rulers nor their cruel gods. And in particular, he says, so that your salvation may be known amongst all nations. The psalmist seems to expect all nations to find God's salvation through God blessing his people, I think in two ways. First, in being attracted to what they can see God's people are enjoying. People say, I want some of that. Whatever you've got, you people, I want some of that. So that is, then there was the blessings of Israel with abundant harvests in the land of Canaan. But now for us, it's enjoying the blessings of eternal life in God's kingdom of heaven. For although Christians today will be materially poor and socially ostracized in general, we are spiritually extravagantly blessed in knowing God, and it fills our hearts with joy. Which is something of a challenge if we're prone to self-pity to publicly rejoice in his kindness in a way that's really quite distinctive in a self-entitled and so perpetually disappointed and complaining culture. But the second way God's blessing his people will help all nations discover salvation is that the harvest will resource Israel to continue being what they should be, which is God's light to the nations, proclaiming him to the world, in other words, for their mission. See, God wants to bless his people so that the nations can be saved. Now, I don't know, perhaps we don't feel very blessed here tonight. Well, we all have something to share. I mean, beyond the blessings in Christ, which are amazing in themselves, 
We all have something. Has God blessed us with friends to gradually share the gospel with them? Has God blessed us with a marriage to share the gospel with two families? Has God blessed us with singleness to give us more time to spend reaching unbelievers? Has God blessed us with children to share the gospel with them and with their friends' parents that we meet at the school gates? Has God blessed us with a home to invite people from an excluded culture to enjoy our hospitality and eventually our hope of eternal life? Has God blessed us with a salary to support some of the wonderful missions that are exhibiting in base camp? Or a mortgage that we can extend to co-invest in a flat for the church, church children's worker? Has God blessed us with retirement so we can commit an hour a day to pray for world missions? Has God blessed us with a stable upbringing, perhaps in a Christian family, and a good education so we can volunteer to be a ministry trainee, to explore full-time ministry here or abroad? Has God even blessed us in a recent bereavement or in a cancer so that everyone is listening to our confidence in Jesus? We are blessed by God in myriad ways for mission. You see, mission isn't a game. It's not a kind of church competition. It is a matter of life and death. Perhaps I could take you to when you go home from this week at Keswick. I don't know where you go back to. Just imagine where you live. And as you walk down your street, I have no idea where you live, but you you know where you live. As you walk down the street and you walk past one of the houses... And perhaps it's late in the evening, and you can see that there are some flames in the ground floor of the house. And you can see from the plastic out in the front garden that there must be some family with some kids there, and they've gone upstairs, and they're clearly asleep. And clearly somebody's dropped a fag on a, on a carpet, and it's caught light. And now the house is on, on fire. It's, it's a house in flames. What, what do you do at that point? Oh, no, time's pressing. I've been away. Somebody else, will, somebody else will do I'm sure somebody else will ring the fire brigade. I, I, I do lots of things uh, for, for, for people. You know, I've been busy all week at Keswick. I'm in, uh, in a summoner sort there. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll wake up and they'll, they'll get up. I'm really busy. I, you are not going to do that, are you? House is on fire, family's inside. Aren't you going to run up the front door and hammering on the front door? Oi, you need to get out. Shut up, we're in bed. No, 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 you need to get out. Leave us alone. Stop being so intrusive. No, you need to get out, aren't you? Aren't you going to hammer down the door or something? You've got an ounce of humanity. You do whatever you can to get people out of that house. Now listen, spiritually speaking, your whole street is on fire. Your whole street is on fire. Why do you think you're living in that street? I don't know what you do. I don't know whether you drop a leaflet through every door. I don't know whether you have a barbecue in your back garden and you invite your neighbours. I don't know whether you drop an invitation into something before Christmas and get the vicar around to come and explain what Christmas is about. I tell you one thing you don't do, and that's nothing. We've got to do something. Because the whole street's on fire. 
So let's stop playing games. Let's ask God for more blessing, for time, for opportunities, for finances, not for our selfish enjoyment, but to do whatever we can do to get people in our towns and cities and our world out of their burning houses. Because that's why we're still here. And not in heaven. Secondly, the psalmist says, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. This is verse verse 3 to 5. That's right in the middle of the psalm. So here's the heart, the pumping, beating heart of the whole psalm. The repeated prayers in verse 3 and 5, for all people to praise God, embrace this central plea that the nations rejoice in the rule and guidance of God. So look with me at verse 3. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Notice, this isn't just prayer for the world to have some fun. You know, for the crowds in a cricket stadium in Mumbai or at a rock concert in Las Vegas. It is to praise God. The psalmist longs for God to receive the praise that he so richly deserves. More particularly, the central prayer is this, verse 4. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. So mission is not placing burdens on the nations. It's inviting people into the joy of being governed well by our God. As John Piper puts it so memorably, the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the grace of God. Evangelism is not imperialistic because all nations live in God's world. And it's not cruel because we're inviting people into a deep and irrepressible joy, a joy they cannot know without Jesus. Especially, says the psalmist, in God's rule and guidance. Available to us now in his word and one day directly in his new creation. For despite modern criticism, the Holy Spirit's rule and guidance in his word are for human flourishing in every nation, in every culture, and in every generation. Verse 5, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. And that prayer will ultimately be answered, as we know from the multicultural vision of the future given to the Apostle John in Revelation 7. Do you remember? There before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Such unity and diversity is not just a happy feature of heaven. It's, it's an aspiration. It's a, it's a prayer for our churches on earth. Welcoming and including people of all nations into our churches is not an optional hope. It's, it's an essential goal wherever we live to reach people of all kinds from our community. It's really not okay if those who are poorest in our churches or recently arrived from South Korea or Hong Kong or Ukraine, have never been invited into our homes. That's not okay. In this month's EN newspaper, Jason Roach, author of an important book on racism in churches called Healing the Divides, encourages us to make special efforts to welcome cultural outsiders. He he suggests drawing on our own experience of feeling excluded to show empathy, to think about how it must be for somebody trying to work out how our church family works. 
Indeed, to expect blessing from God for hospitality to strangers. To be intentional about inviting those who are not like us for a coffee. To invite people to tell us their story to befriend them. Not peppering them with questions like a home office interview, but to listen to people. And to offer hospitality as a small group or a group of friends. Do it together. We need to be intentional, you see, about making cultural compromises to lower the, ba- the boundaries, the barriers, the class and cultural barriers in our churches, to enable inclusion and unity and diversity, which is something beautiful that the world cannot manufacture without the cross of Christ. Not for virtue signaling, but because this is why God has blessed us, to reach out, to be a blessing to people from all nations, and in this world today, certainly in London, But actually everywhere, people are so mobile. There are visitors and new people to our community all the time. And when we do, church will become increasingly compelling as a taste of heaven. In fact, a multicultural festival. I mean, young adults, my kids all love festivals. You know, Glastonbury and all that kind of thing. Isn't that why we love Keswick? Isn't this basically Glastonbury? Advertisers depict these festivals as utopian, uninhibited, happy multicultural celebrations where everyone gets along famously and sings the same songs, yeah? Ignoring the mud, the drugs, the crime, the mountains of rubbish left behind and the fact that it only lasts for one weekend before everybody kills each other. But it seems to me in the gospel we have a free pass to hand out to the mother of all multicultural festivals which is Christ's everlasting wedding celebration in heaven. And that cultural longing for multicultural festival, is that not what heaven is? Isn't that what people long for? They're longing for what we have access to and can give them access to through the gospel. Of course, we have to be thoughtful about how we do that. You know what? The best one, I thought one of the best ways I heard somebody sharing the gospel with a friend. My, my wife and I were out for dinner in a posh restaurant, actually, because it was, it was our anniversary, I think it was. And um, there, was a, there was a posh couple sitting next to us. And in fact, there were two couples. And they were, they were swapping stories about different places they'd been. And it was all very impressive. And, you know, I couldn't help listening in. Um, in fact, I listened to everything they said. It was really, really interesting. Anyway, um, at one point... One of the women in the, in the group dropped a bombshell. She said, um, I've just started going to church. And there was kind of shock. And they said, what? And she said, yeah, it's changed my life. And so their friend said, oh, how? And off she went and told them about Jesus. And I thought, Mike, what a brilliant way to reach friends. Instead of preaching at them saying, you know, You need to turn or burn, my friend, uh, which doesn't really get you anywhere. I've tried it. It doesn't work well, that one. But I've found found someone that's really changed my life. Or I I think I know someone who can help you with that. We're allowed to tell our story, you see. No one likes being preached at these days. But we can all tell our story. You might want to practice it before you go home. And so thirdly, the psalmist says, may God bless us so all the ends of the earth will fear God. This is verses 6 and 7. Look with me at verse 6. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. 
You see, the psalmist recognizes that behind the natural rhythms of seeds and soil and weather and the hard work of the farm laborers, God has been blessing his people with the harvest. As God continues to bless us, spiritually through the ministries of our churches and materially through our hard work and the benefits of civilization. Behind all our enjoyment of material and spiritual things is God, the giver of all good things. It's God who's been blessing us. And so though we feel the cost of sacrificial ministry and giving, we do need to remember that everything we have is on loan from God. And we will each and every one of us give account to him on the day of judgment for what we have done with what he's entrusted to us. As Jesus explained in his parable of the talents, if we will invest what we've been entrusted with in the master's business, he will reward us spectacularly in eternity. But if we hide and hoard what he's entrusted to us, we'll be exposed as unbelievers. To be a Christian is to be somebody who's deliberately investing in our master's business, which is to reach the world with the gospel to the glory of Jesus, our Savior. So it's all entrusted by God for us to provide modestly for our families and then for mission near and far. And so the psalmist prays, verse 7, May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. You see, God has been blessing us not for our self-indulgence, but for local and global mission of every kind in order to generate a global reverence so that God is worshipped and respected and served as he so richly deserves in every part of the world. Is it not one of the greatest joys if you get the chance to worship with Christians in another country, especially to hear them singing as I have in Russian, or in uh, Chilean, that's in Spanish, or in uh, Arabic. It's such a joy to feel part of this global family. Let's consider briefly now how this psalm is fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus Christ. After all, he sacrificially surrendered all his personal blessings for the salvation and joy of the nations. Do you remember he left the comforts of his glory to become the divine evangelist? the cross-cultural missionary, the church planter. He revealed that God's holiness is not just the absence of wickedness, like a weeded soil bed, but the presence of loving evangelism, like a garden of flowers. You can't be holy if you're not about mission. Jesus shows us that. Consider the big moments of his ministry. Consider his call Do you remember when Jesus first called his disciples to him? He called them to evangelism. Matthew 4. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. There is no doubt that the essence of being a Christian is following Jesus to reach the lost. That's why we're still here and not in heaven. And that's why God has delayed the end of the world. To give us time to reach more people. We all have work to do. And that's why he's put us wherever we live and work. Well, think of his compassion. Do you remember when Jesus met crowds of people? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. Matthew 9. Jesus himself, you see, was a relentless evangelist, proclaiming the gospel to anyone who'd listen. And as he met the crowds coming to see him, usually hoping for healing, he was filled with compassion. The original word actually means entrails. It means a gut-wrenching compassion. You know when you see a picture of some poor starving child and you feel punched in the stomach? You know that feeling? And you think, oh, look at that poor child. Will somebody please help her? When Jesus looks at a crowd of people, you know, on the tube in London, a football stadium, in the shop, in the streets, he looks at people and says, look at these poor people. Because he can see how harassed and helpless, literally stressed and burdened. Do you know anybody who's stressed and burdened? Do you know anybody who isn't stressed and burdened? Like sheep without a shepherd, because they're desperately in need of him. Jesus says in every generation, the harvest is plentiful. There are shed loads of people who are ready to be saved. The problem is a shortage of workers. Not just clergy, but workers of every kind, willing to put in a shift. Bringers, chatters, preachers, planters, patrons. People are no longer content to be spectators, but are willing to get on the pitch. It doesn't really matter what position you play. Just don't spend your whole life as a spectator. Get on the pitch. Well, think of his ministry. Speaking of his mission to all nations beyond Israel, Jesus said, I have other sheep not of this sheep pen. I must draw them also. Speaking of his death, he promised, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. Think of his cross, where Jesus' death reveals his purpose in the world. Do you remember Ephesians 2? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace. He died for the sins of his people, whether Jewish or Gentile, to create what the powers of this world cannot. A people who rejoice in a shared identity in Christ, no longer divided by our ethnicities, our cultures or our class. Sorry, class. We're no longer primarily Chinese, Indian, Colombian, Nigerian or English. We're primarily children of God. And we're united in dependence upon the same precious blood of Jesus. All one in Christ Jesus, as the best conventions put it. Or think of his command. When Jesus rose from the dead, his great commission was clear. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So therefore, what do I want you to do with that? Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus reigns on high, so world mission is not colonial because everyone lives in his domain. And it isn't impossible, even for us, because Jesus is sovereign in every conversation to empower what he commands. We can do this because the risen Jesus is with us. And think of his church, the future he is preparing, the great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, praising God. Jesus' world evangelization will be mission accomplished in heaven. The question for us is, are we going to be part of it? 
or just watch from the sidelines. God's passion for mission is crystal clear in the ministry of Jesus. So how's your passion for mission right now? seems to me that we must love our neighbor in every way we can, especially with the gospel. God's word calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love widows and orphans, to love the poor and the outsider, like good Samaritans reaching across cultural barriers, knowing that the most loving thing we could ever do for anybody is to give them the gospel. At the last Lausanne conference, I understand that John Piper apparently reminded delegates then all the proper concern for the relief of suffering in the world, it is only evangelism and world mission that can relieve eternal suffering in hell. And so since we have been so wonderfully blessed in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and in the life that he has entrusted to us, as Psalm 67 tells us, for the blessing of the nations, we now need to ask ourselves an honest question. And it's this. What can I do? Not somebody else. What can I do? As the person God has made me, in the circumstances God has placed me, with the blessings God has entrusted to me, to reach all nations for Christ. What can I do? What can you do? All of us are called to share God's passion for mission, to proclaim the gospel that Jesus is Christ our Lord, who came as our king, died for our sins, rose to rule, and will return to judge and renew all things to the glory of God. And all of us to make Christ known wherever we are, in our homes, our workplaces, and our neighborhoods. But this is a special night as we are gathered here. Maybe this evening, I don't know, but maybe in your heart, God is leading you to a change of direction. Giving you a new focus for what remains of your life. A new sphere of service. We'd love to help you make that response tonight so that we don't walk out and forget what we heard from God. Are you like that? I'm like that all the time. I have such good intentions, and then I walk out the door and I've forgotten it. At the end of the meeting, why not come down and meet with one of the team down here in the prayer area? There are lots of people available. And talk and pray with somebody about what God is laying upon your heart tonight to do what you can do for evangelism and world mission. If you're watching online, why not talk to your church pastor or to a senior Christian you trust? And whether it's because you feel you want to pray more and more intentionally for world mission, maybe you want to give more Perhaps it's a hundred pounds, perhaps it's a million pounds. You want to give more for world mission. Maybe it's because you want to have a go and be a ministry trainee, or you want to try a short-term mission abroad. Come and pray about it. 
Because that's why God has been blessing you all these years. That's what it's for. To prepare you to contribute to his passion for mission in the world. See, it's wonderful, isn't it? However old we are, however much we've let God down, and we know that, don't we? We've let God down so badly in the past. But isn't it wonderful? It's not too late. We have what's left of our life entrusted to us by God for serving him. And so we can choose to do better in what's left. This is the night to make that decision. You may know that decisive moment in Hudson Taylor's decision to go to China, to form the China Inland Mission through which millions have been saved. More Christians in China now than members of the Communist Party, I understand. Apparently it was on a night just like tonight, but in Brighton, on a day a few years ago, not long ago, it was Sunday, June 25th, 1869, 1865, sorry, a few of us were alive then, I think. He later wrote this, unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge. I wandered out on the sands alone in great spiritual agony and there the Lord conquered my unbelief and I surrendered myself to his service. Why not surrender yourself to him tonight? But whatever you do, don't be a clean-shirted winger. Now, a hundred years ago, when I was a young man, I played rugby. And I was a winger, so I can insult wingers. And it may be, I don't know whether you know anything about rugby, but in a rugby changing room, after there's been a match, okay, you can see the forwards and you can see the backs, and then there's the clean-shirted wingers. All right? Now, the forwards are all covered in mud, yeah? Their clothes, the shirt is torn. They've got bandages hanging off their heads. Their ear is ripped off. There's blood all over the front of them. They're missing some teeth, yeah? And a finger, and there's a broken limb, yeah? And that's the forwards, covered in mud. They've been in a war zone. And the backs, the centres, they all look the same, but it's the, the clean-shirted wingers. Absolutely pristine clean. Not a mark on us. You still see the iron pleats in the shirt, you know? No blood, no mud, it's absolutely spotless. We are the clean-shirted wingers, yeah? Brothers and sisters, I do not want to arrive in heaven as a clean-shirted winger. You know, over there, there's the Nigerians, absolutely battered, blown up for their faith. Shirts torn, mud and blood, missing teeth and everything. And then over there is the North Koreans. They've got hardly any limbs, but limbs left. And there's the Christians from Pakistan and the Christians from Eritrea. And then there's a little group over there. They're the, the spotless, clean-shirted. Where's that lot from? Oh, they're the English. I don't want to arrive in heaven like that, do you? Never been spat at, never had a door slammed in my face, never, nobody's ever had a swing at me. 
No stories to tell. Nothing to talk about. Just cruised through life and woke up in heaven. I do not want to be a clean-shirted winger. Do you? Jesus wasn't. He'll be standing over there covered in blood with the scars on his hands and his feet. Blood that he gave in the cause of saving people from all nations. So let's not be the clean-shirted English. Not a mark on us. Will you pray with me? Come and pray with somebody else. If there's too many of us, we'll just pray with one another. And get your shirt dirty in the cause of world mission. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have blessed us so much. You've blessed us in Christ. We are so blessed in him. And you've blessed us materially with so many blessings and opportunities. Have mercy upon us, we pray, that we've done so little with it all. And so, Lord, we ask tonight, please would you be with us? Help us to answer this question. What can I do? as the person God has made me and the circumstances God has placed me, with the blessings God has entrusted to me to reach all nations for Christ. Lord, please may we not leave this tent the same as we came in. Please would you help us now to commit ourselves to your passion for mission. We ask it for the joy of the nations and for the glory of our Saviour. In whose name we pray. Amen.